it's not a question about whether there'll be a surge. I think we're already at the beginning of it. Um, and I think a lot of us are very concerned by that fact because this is a respiratory virus. Most respiratory viruses are supposed to surge in the winter. And in fact, we did see a massive winter surge. Um, summer is the time when we're supposed to be safe, but the Delta variant appears to be so contagious that it doesn't seem to care that it's summer. This is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on the Mom Squad Pod podcast, where we talk all things parenting. And in this week's episode, I'm talking about something that's very, I would say, confusing, but very important to every parent out there, which is what do we do about COVID-19 and our kids going back to school in just a matter of weeks. So I'm joined by Dr. Amy Edwards, infectious disease specialist with University Hospitals, Rainbow Babies Children's Hospital. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And I don't think I'm off by saying it's very confusing. Um, I wanna start with comparing the start of this school year compared to last school year. And when it comes to our kids' safety. Where would you say we are in terms of um, bigger risks, smaller risks? Are our kids facing the same risks that they were at this time last year heading into the school year? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I don't think I've been asked that question yet. Um, I think there are some ways in which our kids are safer, and then there are some concerning signals. So Last year, when the school year was starting, um, that would have been last summer, August, September. My kids are too young for school, so I don't, I don't actually know when school starts. Um, we didn't have a vaccine yet, so all the teachers were unvaccinated, all the students were unvaccinated. We had just come out of a summer wave. We didn't know when the fall wave was going to start, um, so I think you know people were understandably very concerned. We had just started to get a handle on this C, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children that's a, a post-COVID complication. Um, and so in that sense, I think we're in a better place, right? Because we do have a vaccine. A lot of adults are vaccinated, not everybody, but a lot of adults are vaccinated. We have a much better handle on, on some of the complications that kids can face from COVID. Um, and we, aren't just coming out of the wave, although it looks like we're like going into one. Um, but, you know, some of the concerning signals that we're seeing is, you know, what I just said. So we know that our, our case rate, I believe, just doubled in the last two weeks, uh, which is very concerning. Um, and we're dealing with a new variant that we didn't have last year um, that is more contagious. Um, and if you look at other states, we, we're seeing a rise in pediatric COVID in states like Arkansas and Mississippi, where their their outbreaks are are larger and further along than ours are. So I would say there's reasons for optimism, and there's a few reasons to still be a little bit concerned. One of the reasons why I wanted to sit down and chat with you is because you know we're, we're doing this from Cleveland, and Cleveland Metropolitan School District came out and said we are going to have our kids come back to school with masks on, and that had a lot of reaction. I mean, for people in favor of it, people saying that they were even going to still homeschool their kids. And then there was the reaction of people saying, we don't have a mask mandate. Uh, you know, most adults are vaccinated. Why are they making kids wear masks? Um, I have a, I have a bunch of questions, but let's start with 
with just a decision that most parents are going to have to make headed into the school year. Do I send my kid with a mask? Do I not send them with a mask? If I'm a parent asking my pediatrician what to do, what, what would you recommend? So I'm going to start by saying very transparently that I'm a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And we all okay. know that the AAP came out with a position statement a few days ago. Um, and so I don't want anybody to wonder about that. Um, I, I think there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. And I'm going to do it in a kind of a roundabout way. And the first thing I'm actually going to answer is a question you didn't ask. And it is that I hear from a lot of people and a lot of adults that they are quite honest, like when a kid gets admitted with COVID or when a kid gets admitted with Miss C, I can tell you how many of their parents have told me, wait, I thought kids couldn't get COVID or I thought kids couldn't mm. get sick from COVID or, or end up in the hospital. And it's a message I think that has been confusing because the emphasis has been on adults mm. um, and we keep hearing that kids are low risk, kids are low risk. And it is true that kids are low risk, but low risk does not mean no risk. And the difference between kids and COVID and adults with COVID is it doesn't seem that there are clear risk factors that definitely mean that a child with COVID is at higher risk. So with adults, we know that older age is a problem. We know that diabetes is a problem. We know that heart disease is a problem. And we know that obesity is a problem. But that does not seem to be the case for children. And in fact, I've seen a very healthy 11-month-old baby in our ICU on a ventilator with COVID. And then I've seen kids with underlying medical conditions. I had a kid with a kidney transplant who did fine with COVID. So it's very unpredictable in children. And so I think for that reason, because I can't clearly delineate for you which children are going to be high risk and which children are going to be low risk, we, we can't tell which kids are going to do fine and which kids are not going to do fine. And while it is true that the vast majority of kids will do fine, for me as a parent, not as a doctor, but for me as a parent, it's just a risk I'm not willing to take. So I err on the side of caution. And I will say that most physicians, most doctors do tend to be risk averse. That's part of what brought us into medicine. We wanna stop people from getting sick. We tend to be very risk averse. So we do err on the side of caution. And what the AAP said and what I fully agree with is that in order to get all kids back in full-time face-to-face school, the best way to do that is to just put everyone in a mask. And the reason for that is because 12 and under don't have access to a vaccine. 12 and over have very low rates of vaccine uptake. And even our adults have very low rates of vaccine uptake here in Ohio compared to other states. Although Northeast Ohio, where we are, it's slightly higher than in other parts of the state. Um, and we want all kids to be able to come back to school, including those kids with underlying medical conditions like asthma, and other problems that might put them at, at higher risk. And so in order to keep everybody safe, let's just put everybody in a mask for now. That way the schools aren't burdened with trying to figure out which kids are vaccinated, which kids are not vaccinated. Teachers aren't arguing with kids in the classroom. Hey, where's your vaccine card? Show me you're not vaccinated if you're not gonna wear your mask. I mean, you can envision all the problems and the hassles if you just tried to say, okay, only the unvaccinated have to wear a mask. Well, that's gonna be a huge pain for the schools. So what the AAP said is, you know what, let's just take the confusion away. Let's take the, the logistics of, of vaccine cards and vaccine checkups, let's take all that away and just say, you know what, until the vaccine is available for all children, let's just say that in schools, everybody wears a mask. And they really did it to make it easy and to make it safe for everybody. Mm -hmm. 
let's start with the, the group too that is not uh, the underage uh, group, under the age of 12. Um, the, that's the group that's not even an option to get um, a right. vaccine. But let's say the parents are vaccinated and they've, are we feeling a, a false sense of security? Like, okay, well, we're vaccinated. We can send the kids to school, um, even with masks. Is there, what's the concern there? I mean, should we be concerned? Should we be looking at, you know, the, the virtual option again? Do you think that would happen? I hope not. I, I, I think all pediatricians, myself included, because I am, I'm a pediatrician too. I'm an mm -hmm. infectious disease expert, but I'm also a board certified pediatrician. I think all of us want all the kids back in full-time in-person schooling, if that's what's best for the kid. We actually know that some parents have discovered their kids do wonderfully well in virtual settings and and that I you know I don't want to take away from that but for the vast majority of kids in person schooling does appear to be the best way for them to learn and that's what pediatricians want so I very much hope that we're not going to go back to that but one of the ways to do that is with universal masking and the reason is is because if you look at the data there, so there are schools that never shut down. There's schools in Australia, there's schools all over the country in North Carolina, Arizona. There's, there's places where schooling never did shut down. Um, some put mask mandates in place, some didn't. So we can actually compare and contrast these different situations. Um, and what we saw was that if all the kids and teachers were wearing masks, washing their hands and taking precautions and, and people who were ill stayed home, you saw very little in-school transmission. So that, that school did seem to be a safe place to be. Mm -hmm. And it looks like the majority of COVID cases in children do come from the adults in their lives, close contact with their parents, their grandparents, aunts and uncles, and mm -hmm. teachers and paraprofessionals. If, if you could guarantee that every adult in your child's life was vaccinated, that would make that a very low risk situation. But we can't, right? We can't guarantee that our teachers are gonna be vaccinated and we know a lot of them are not. And the other thing is, is while I said that child to child transmission was rare, it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, it still happens. And that's where that mass comes in because what the, again, going back to the science, what the data shows is that when 80% or more of the people in an area are masked, transmission from transmission of COVID plummets. I mean, plummets. So if you just put mask mandates in place for all the schools, what you're basically doing is you're creating a safe space where kids can do full-time in-person learning without the parents biting their nails and being fearful that their kid could either get COVID or bring COVID home and get somebody else sick. Um, with the, you mentioned the adults, um, that's the most likely place where um, a child will pick up the virus. So as a hypothetical, because this has been coming up as well too, parents are starting to get out and about more. Some are vaccinated, some are not. So let's say we're all back in the workplace or we are in a social setting where, um, you know, I've been vaccinated, but my friend hasn't, but I'm going home to kids who are young enough who are not vaccinated. I can be a carrier, right? Or, or what's my concern then of, of me as a vaccinated adult being around somebody who's unvaccinated and then coming home to my kids? Does it go almost like a, you know, a, a third party that way or would they have to come into contact with the person who's unvaccinated who might be carrying the virus? Well, that's a really great question. So, um, and what I'm gonna do is what I've already done, I'm gonna bring this back to the science. So 
Yes, that is a theoretical risk. However, vaccinated individuals, we know that vaccinated individuals can get sick from COVID, right? They're, they're called breakthrough cases. We've seen them. We know that it happens. However, it appears that even if a vaccinated individual gets COVID, either asymptomatic or symptomatic COVID, it appears that they have a harder time transmitting it to the people around them because their viral load, the amount of virus that's in their body and the amount of virus that's coming off of their body appears to be lower. However, we also have very close contact with our kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it is a theoretical risk, but it's not a huge risk. However, I will say that in my workplace, I mask. Granted, I'm required to because the hospital requires it, um, but I feel like um, even if the hospital did not require me to mask all the time, I would um, not so much when I'm here in my little cubby of an office because and I actually know that all my office mates are all vaccinated as well. But when I'm walking around the halls of the hospital, I can have no idea who I'm walking past. And so I continue to wear a mask because I, I believe that's what's safest for my kids. Um, when I'm in a situation at work where I can come in close contact with people. It's a little different, for instance, when I'm out and about at the grocery store, because I tend to really kind of keep my distance from people. I'm still in that six foot, you know, just stay away from me kind of place. Mm -hmm. um, and with that limited distant contact, I'm, I'm not as worried. And so that's kind of my place to take my mask off and kind of get back to normal as it were. Um, but in social situations, I think for me personally, it would depend on who I was socializing with. And currently my husband and I are limiting our socialization to people who are vaccinated so that we don't have to worry about that for our kids. That's interesting. That was one of the questions I had because I mean, with, with lifting of the mask mandates, um, I would really mask up my kids when we'd go into the grocery store or do a target run or something. And we weren't coming into close contact with people. And now people have loosened up. I mean, a lot of us have loosened up. The mask mandates are gone, you know, and I always question, should I be putting my kids in masks again? And I guess that leads me to another question that I had was this time last year, I feel like we felt a little bit of a sense of security. We were seeing case numbers go down and, and summer, we didn't see the high rates and we knew that there might be a fall surge, but we didn't know for sure. With these new variants, the Delta variant, um, and, and then the new one that, that they've been talking about, what was it? Lambus. Lambus mm -hmm. variant. Um, do you think there's, there's um, a concern for a fall surge with these variants? And will we be going back to the mindset that we were, we were in last fall, especially with, with kids? Um, so I think it's not a question about whether there'll be a surge. I think we're already at the beginning of it. Um, and I think a lot of us are very concerned by that fact because this is a respiratory virus. Most respiratory viruses are supposed to surge in the winter. And in fact, we did see a massive winter surge. Um, summer is the time when we're supposed to be safe, but the Delta variant appears to be so contagious that it doesn't seem to care that it's summer. If it were winter right now, we'd our cases would already be off the charts. There's no doubt about it. But the fact that our cases are already rising tells me we're already at the beginning of a surge. There's, there is nothing that's going to stop this Delta variant short of everybody in Ohio getting vaccinated. Um, it's an extremely contagious variant. Um, and so we're absolutely, I mean, we're already at the beginning of it. So there absolutely will be a fall surge. Um, the question is whether it'll just be a continuation of this summer surge that we're already at the 
very tiny beginnings of, um, mm -hmm. or whether it'll be, you know, multi-peaked or who knows. Um, but absolutely, and unless people begin to listen and heed our warnings and get vaccinated, we're in we're in for a bit of a rough ride. There are a million different reasons why people are giving that they're not getting vaccinated, whether they're concerned about their health or they're concerned about the reaction or they don't think that you know a vaccine is necessary. I mean, I've I've heard all of the different reasons why somebody might not be getting vaccinated. Um, as a parent, you know, when I start to hear about new vaccines, not even just with COVID, I mean, with, with everything, I think every parent takes that pause of, am I going to, is my kid going to be the first one to get this vaccine? And then you hear about the break, the risk cases that are the rare and, you know, this rare reaction and this rare reaction. What would you say to a parent who comes to you and says, my kid is over 12. I don't know if I want to get them the vaccine. I'll, I'll do it to myself, but I have my concerns when it comes to my kids. What do you tell those parents? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I am telling them because I get that question a lot. As you may or may not be aware, I'm on the news all the time. Right. Um, so I'm a little bit famous. Um, and so I've had a number of people reach out to me via a variety of methods. Um, I've participated in some Facebook Live events through various venues um, and answered questions in real time. Um, and so I'll tell you exactly what I'm telling them. And that is that, you know, I, I hear what they're saying and I understand where it's coming from. Um, but the science is very clear. Um, there's, there's no doubt about it. The risk to your child from COVID is higher than the risk from the vaccine. And I can give you some real world numbers to back that up. So you brought up the heart, you know, those rare complications. I assume you're alluding to the myocarditis that we saw with yes. Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Um, so myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle. Um, and that is actually a condition that we're very familiar with in pediatrics because every summer we see a surge in myocarditis. And you say, why is that? There are a number of viruses that can cause myocarditis, particularly in teenage boys. That's where we see it the most often. Um, one in particular, hand, foot, and mouth, uh, the, the same, the Coxsackie virus that causes hand, foot, and mouth disease um, is a big one that can do myocarditis. There's a whole variety of others uh, in the wintertime. Influenza can cause myocarditis. Um, and also COVID itself can cause a viral myocarditis. So myocarditis is not a new entity. It's something that we've seen before. If, you're, if your child were to catch COVID, their risk of having some sort of cardiac complication, either myocarditis during the acute viral episode or a cardiac complication when they experience MIS-C, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, is somewhere in the one to 3% range. Um, so that's, that's significant, right? I mean, that might sound like a low number, but think about that for every 100 kids that gets COVID, three of one or two or three of them are gonna have heart problems from that. that. That's a lot, right? And when you extrapolate that out to however many thousands and millions of kids live in Ohio, that's a lot of kids with heart, you know, with heart complications. If you look at the vaccine, it, it looks like the vax, it's the second dose, right? It's the, it's the second dose of the Pfizer Moderna. And it looks like it happens in that first week after the vaccine. The rate is still a little bit unclear. Um, but it looks like it's probably one case of myocarditis for every 200,000 doses of vaccine. Mm -hmm. 
not really great at math, but that's less than 1%, right? right? right. So your, your risk of your child having a heart complication from the virus are much higher than them having a complication from the vaccine. The other thing I wanna point out is somewhere between 95 and 98% of the myocarditis cases that have been reported as being associated with the vaccine are extremely mild and have already resolved, which is very different from the cardiac complications that come as a result of the virus, which are not very mild and some of many of which have not resolved. Um, and myocarditis is very treatable. Um, and so I, I, I'm a parent too. I, I've already said that I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I get it. I, I really do, but it's all about risk, right? And I've already said, I'm a very risk averse doctor. So for me as a parent, my kid's risk from the virus is higher than my kid's risk from the vaccine. That's a no brainer. I get the vaccine. I hope I don't have the complication, but if I do, I deal with it. And that is just life, but I certainly do not want my kid to get the virus because if my kid got the virus and ended up in the ICU with Missy, I would never forgive myself. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's just, it's complete no brainer as far as I'm concerned. If you look at the data and you look at the science. Um, parents are gonna have to make that decision coming up here. <laughs> I mean, probably about now, if Hopefully not before. So. Um, and then other decisions that they're gonna have to make too. And. And I mean, I, I, my kids are still young. I don't have high schoolers, but I mean, we're, we're coming up on that fall sports uh, issue of, do I sign them up for sports? How safe are we at this point? Last year, we, we didn't have the option or there was a lot of altered you know, schedules and, and ways kids played uh, their favorite sport, but how safe do you think kids are? Um, in general, I mean, let, let's take vaccinated, unvaccinated, not out of it, but I mean, we don't know, you know, sure. as a parent, I don't know what, what kind of grouping my kid will be in. Do right. I sign them up? What precautions do I take? What do I ask the school to see if I feel comfortable with what they're doing? That's a really great question. So for me, if, if I had a high schooler and, and, and I wanted them and I wanted them to participate in sports, which I understand because I did sports when I was in high school. It's a, it's a huge part of a child's you know, high school experience. I would vaccinate my kid now because that way it would all be done, right? Let's say worst case scenario, my kid did get a little bit of that heart inflammation from the vaccine. I would want it to be over and done with by the time sports were starting. So I would get the vaccine now that way it's all over and done. And then when fall sports start, your kid can participate without really any concerns at all. You, you, you could just let them participate as normal. But I think what parents need to understand is what kind of precautions are the school and the, the coach putting in place? So for instance, I'm a runner. So I did cross country and, and track in high school. If you look at the way those kinds of, of practices are, the time when you're together as a team is in the locker room, and then when you're stretching and warming up, after that you go out on your various runs and you're kind of a little bit more spread out. Um, and so I would simply ask, like, are they requiring masks while they're in the locker room and while they're warming up? And then, of course, you know, allowing them to run maybe without the mask or something like that. Um, when they're in the weight room doing their weight training, you know, what ventilation have they worked on? So for instance, weight rooms are typically pretty poorly ventilated. And we know that um, ventilation is a huge risk factor for spreading COVID. If there's poor ventilation, it's, you know, you're more likely to see more spread. Schools have known this for about a year now. So I'd be at like, what improvements did you make to the, to the gym and to the workout 
workout area to improve the ventilation with these athletes huffing and puffing and possibly spewing out virus, you know, to make it safer for the people around them. I simply ask those questions. Those are reasonable questions to ask. Um, and you as a parent have the right to that information and that will help you make the determination for your student. But above and beyond all of that, like I said, I would just vaccinate my student because then they could do whatever they wanted and I wouldn't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people who um, compare this to, well, it's just like the flu and it's just like the cold. And I think headed into a cold and flu season, especially with kids, um, you know, whether when people are trying to decide, do I vaccinate them? Do I not vaccinate them? Do I put them in a mask? Because even though my, you know, school isn't requiring it, do I fight the school on the mask? standard. Is this, is it fair to say it's, it's a cold or a flu and I mean, oh, how I wish it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, for the cold, no. I mean, comparing this to rhinovirus is completely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe rhinovirus has killed a patient in decades. I, and so that's a, that's a foolish statement. Um, for flu, I think there are some comparisons that you can make between influenza and COVID that are valid comparisons. So for instance, if you look at the mortality rate in just in kids, let's take adults and high-risk adults out of this. Let's just look at the 18 and under population, the pediatric population. It does appear that the mortality rate with COVID is at about what we would consider to be the worst of influenza. So everybody knows that some flu seasons are mild, some flu seasons are severe. Mm -hmm. In a mild flu season, we would expect nationwide somewhere between 18 and 25 kids would die of influenza in, in the flu season in the entire United States. In a bad flu season, that could go up to about 100 to 150 kids. So you can see there's a wide range there, depending on the strain of influenza, of how bad kids can be affected. Mm -hmm. COVID in that so influenza is about a six month period right it's the flu season lasts for about six months in in one year covid killed about 330 children so you can see that it's about as bad as a as our worst flu season mortality wise even but spread over the year but there are some things about covid that flu cannot hold a candle to so for instance influenza does not cause a long haul syndrome and we have seen, I have kids in my practice who have had severe declines in their quality of life because of COVID long haul syndrome and chronic fatigue syndrome secondary to COVID, which has just been devastating to them. So influenza does not do that. So that's one way in which COVID is worse than flu. The other thing is neither, neither the cold virus nor the flu virus cause this inflammatory reaction, this MIS-C, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children related to COVID-19. And that's a horrible process. It, so it basically what happens is about four or five weeks after COVID, for many of the kids that I've seen with MIS-C, it was asymptomatic COVID. So the parents didn't even know their kids had COVID. And then all of a sudden, four or five weeks later, they spike a fever and get horribly sick. Most of them end up in our ICU. Some of them have even had to be on ventilators and we have to pump their bodies full of steroids. We have to suppress their immune system using immunosuppressive drugs. Um, it's just, it's terrible. And influenza does not do that. And the cold virus does not do that. So you can say it's like the flu, like I said, with mortality. If you just look at the mortality numbers, it is true that it's about as bad as our worst flu season. 
but there are ways in which COVID is so much worse than influenza. And for those kids who experience those complications, the, the MISC and the COVID long haul, I guarantee you they would have paid millions of dollars to have access to that vaccine. Yeah. So overall, I mean, as parents, we just have to keep in mind, we got to do everything we can to keep our kids safe. Right. And because it's like, just like with COVID for Miss C, there is no way to predict which child is going to get Miss C. Um, we've looked at it again and again, as far as, as far as, you know, is there a link with race or ethnicity? Is there a link with BMI? Is there a link with underlying medical conditions? Is there a link with asthma? Is there a link with this or that or whatever? And it seems completely random as far as we can tell. Um, any kid can get it. Granted, it's only about about half a percent or 1% of kids who get COVID will get Miss C. But still, that, that means for every 100 kids that get COVID, one of them is going to end up in the ICU with this hyperinflammatory response that just, you know, is so devastating. And so, I, I mean, again, for me as a parent, that's just not a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah. All right, Dr. Amy Edwards, thank you so much. Hang for a second. I want to, I want to properly thank you and say goodbye, but for now we'll, we'll let all of our podcast listeners go with all that information. And I'm sure we're going to be talking to you again, because I know that this is going to be an ongoing issue throughout the fall and into the winter months, but thank you so much. And thank you to all of you who are listening to the mom, mom squad pod podcast. We'll see you back there next week. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.